0: I'm your host Brent Gunn and I'm your co-host Mitch Kalka.
1: This is a very special episode. Um, Mitch, you're going to be leaving.
0: Yep, I'm going to be um, not necessarily graduating but I'll be leaving um, the campus of Central Michigan University to finish up online um, over this next semester and so I'll be moving to Midland um, where I'm going to be working as a
1: reporter for the Midland Daily News. Midland's a beautiful Beautiful place, yeah, it is <laughs> um, so since you're leaving last time on the episode, we kind of hinted at this idea of getting each other gifts. yes, um, particularly gifts that we knew the other person didn't need, mm-hmm. didn't want just like a really bad forced gift like
0: it's a it's a college like millennial friend gift.
1: Yeah, or like an aunt you barely see who mm-hmm. bought you something like totally not <laughs> not connected to who you are as a person at all. Yeah. So without further ado, I think I'm going to give you my gift to you first. Okay. Do you mind closing your eyes, actually? Because okay. yeah. we have to make this like a very like important thing. Mm-hmm. Bought this all with you in mind. Um, if you want to reach out your hand right there, there's a gift in the, the – uh, yeah, yeah, there there, there you go. Can I help, help them out. Yes. Oh, nice. And there's <laughs> one more gift inside. The bag for you and be sure to you know, describe what you're yeah, seeing yeah. here it's a
0: it's a hot pink handbag um glitter all over it with a flamingo that says majestically awkward i don't know it's kind of random i don't know i mean i get it i i can see why you thought of me and inside it inside it is a skull cap um wave premium tie and cap for men
1: and women i figured yeah. i figure you would need it in midland yeah because it's definitely. a very tough place um <laughs> I don't know. You could probably wear it to the office. I I don't know. It was it was just an idea. I don't know.
0: No, I I love it. It's <laughs> it's uh it's the most me gift I've ever had. I, I I
1: almost got you a minion uh toothbrush, but I I the they the gift was something that you wouldn't want.
0: Yeah. I mean that's a good segue for my gift. Oh. Um, oh, do you want me to close my eyes? Um No, I want you to see this. Okay.
1: <laughs> Oh, you shouldn't have! You uh, really shouldn't no, have! Shouldn't have! <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a minion. Yeah, missing an eye. Both of its eyes. Both, missing its eyes. Mm-hmm. Did you claw the eyes
0: out? No, we, I bought it that way. Oh, you um, bought it. Um, it's affected. This has been in my possession for the past two years. And Where you bought it? Like the deep web, or no? The Toys R Us in Jackson, Michigan. Oh, my, going
1: out of business sale. No, oh, just regular. Just um, normal day at Jackson, my, Toys This was us.
0: back when I lived with three other um, friends of mine. Um, one of them, Cameron Reisner, uh, I grew up in Jackson with, and him and I were going through Toys R Us looking for the worst gifts possible for our other two roommates, Jared and Jay. Um, and so I found, like, a tiny little Knuckles from Sonic toy from Jay um, for Jay.
1: That's great for Jay. Perfect gift yeah.
0: for Jay. <laughs> and... Um, for Jared, like we were kind of going over, like what would what, what would Jared want? Like what what would be a great gift for Jared? And we, in like a sign from God, we saw that like on the lowest shelf in one of the toy aisles, it was a minion that had had its eyes clawed out, probably by some minion hungry kid passing by, and we knew like right there right right then and there like we decided like that's what we had to get paid full price for it $20 because the woman at the the woman at the at the front checkout like apparently didn't didn't notice that the minion was like really obviously deformed and, yeah, yeah. So, and, so, and so she's like she even asked us like we 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 were when we were like buying it we were trying to keep a straight face she's like oh do you want the warranty i'm like no thanks like Cameron, he was trying to keep, he's like, <clears throat> he, like he, he like almost burst out laughing. I was like, no, no, thank you. We're, we're, we're fine. But
1: you know, I, I try not to get, uh, sorry. I try not to get like too emotional mm-hmm. on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been honest, no one's given me a gift this personal, I think, uh, ever. Oh, I think that this is a gift that is, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I think it's best that we just move on and talk to the movies. Okay. I, I don't want this to get too. Sentimental. I don't want to start crying on the mic, but gifts aside, mm-hmm. congrats. I'm Really happy for you. Thank you. Um, I wish you all the best of luck in Midland. Um, be safe. Thank you. That's what the that's, that's what, what the, the cap is for. The
0: skull cap is for. That, that is what the cap sand. is for.
1: No one will mess with you with that on. <laughs> you can walk around at 3 a.m. naked. No one's gonna mess with you. Well, my naked minus the cap. I'll have to give it a shot. So gifts aside, mm-hmm. good good. You know, luck aside. Let's talk about Mandy.
0: Under the crimson, primordial sky, the wretched warlock reached into the dark embrace.
1: Last episode, you talked about Mandy a little bit, mm-hmm. and you really piqued my interest, because uh, I think you described the movie as Nicolas Cage hunts Satanists? Satanist bikers. Satanist think, bikers. Yeah. Um with a hand forged battle axe. And that immediate like I I watched the trailers and I was immediately just like all right, I'll give this a shot. Mm-hmm. And I was seeing a lot of opinions online that it was like oh, it's like some like Tumblr edgy movie. Oh, hmm. it's hmm. it's blah, blah. which uh maybe the color palette, I guess, but <laughs> I mean it's a very like Let's get not it. let Tumblr, like, monopolize color. Let's not <laughs> let them do that, all right? If a movie's got good colors, let's just say it's got good colors. Because Mandy, where we're going to get to it later, I loved it. Yeah, um, great. I was expecting, I, I wasn't really expecting anything going into it. I bought yeah. it on Blu-ray the other day at Target, just on a whim because of your your mm-hmm. your recommendation. Watched it. Uh, my girlfriend watched it with me. She had a slightly different opinion on it than I did. And I was so happy that the film turned out the way that, that it did. Mm-hmm. Um, It was everything that I wanted it to be. Very rarely did it do things that I kind of maybe rolled my eyes at, but Mm -hmm. I didn't even roll them that deeply. The thing I loved about it is it was a really stylized, fun action movie that I felt didn't sacrifice creativity for Mm -hmm. the sake of it being an action movie. Yeah. And I love that. I love that approach to a very kind of like, quote unquote, surface level genre of filmmaking, like, you know, Mm -hmm. science fiction action i mean these can be great interesting genres man this was nick cage channeling like face off wild Mm -hmm. at heart and uh at the very end i would say even a little bit of vampire's kiss with that scene where he's in the car and he gives that weird smile (laughs) to his uh wife that that was one of my favorite moments of the whole film and we'll get a little bit more organized with you know what we thought of the film in a second but i
0: i love this movie yeah, I, I kind of had the same experience of going into it blind. Um, my friend uh Dan, he he had um he's a big fan of Nicolas Cage in, in all of his forms, serious, not non serious. And so he um I had heard of the movie beforehand, just in passing, but he said, Oh, we should watch we gotta watch Mandy tonight. And I'm like, Okay. And yeah, I I kind of had a similar reaction. Like I just was like surprised I was expect I was, I was expecting a good time, especially like as a movie. Went on. I'm like, "Oh, this is good." But like I I was not expecting just like how like competent and like the the craft of the movie is, how um like lovingly made it, made it is and all in like every way. It is a very well-made film. Yeah. Um but it doesn't
1: sacrifice that for entertainment value spoiler alert mm-hmm. tons of spoilers I, this isn't really a movie that you spoil i would argue because it's not really plot heavy
0: and kind of like the main spoiler that that um causes like a shift in the story like halfway through you can probably guess going into the movie what what, what it's going to be as in the uh certain character dies oh yeah you can kind yeah. of guess just like what kind of a movie it's been advertised as right
1: right let's try to break down the story as mm-hmm. you know, like directly as we can Nicholas Cage and his wife, who is this kind of like fantasy writer. Um, yeah. and when I say fantasy writer, I mean like those fantasy books that you see at like the dollar, like discount stores, where it's like mm-hmm. a scantily clad man in like, like a the Tarzan, like, and the barbarian type, yeah, of like, like fighting a dragon, sword and sandals, very fantasy. like Dungeons and Dragons esque uh-huh. fantasy. Which hell yeah, that's mm-hmm. some good fantasy right there. Um, so she has a lot of uh, interest in that, but you notice that the world that they live in. It looks like ours. It has things that are similar to ours. Like she has a Motley Crue t-shirt. She has a Black Sabbath t-shirt in the film. Mm -hmm. So those things still exist relatively in the same way that they are supposed to in our universe. But you look up at the sky and it's red and there's planets very close to ours. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, that's a really interesting way to tackle the idea of this being in a world like ours, but, you know, slightly off. And you didn't have to, you know, bog down with like, Three thousand years ago, the you know the echelon people destroyed mm-hmm. the sun. No, just the the, the the sky. The sky looks weird. Mm-hmm. It looks weird. Maybe there was some like galactical war. Maybe like, and who cares? That's the whole point. It's like you're put into this world. You're kind of thrown off. There's things that you find familiar, things that are foreign to you. That and I love that level of like immersion that uh, mm-hmm. director Panos Kosmatos yeah. uh, brought to to the, the film. But Nicolas Cage and his wife are. You know, very meek, uh, essentially hermits mm-hmm. living in this like log cabin in the he's, woods. He's a lumberjack. Yeah, um, um, which I think that really suits Cage's personality. Yeah, he's a very, he's like the intellectual lumberjack <laughs> in a lot of ways. His wife walking home one day from work, this cult in a van. Mm-hmm. Uh, led by a very charismatic uh, psychedelic folk musician. Mm-hmm. Um, what was his name again? His name was Jeremiah Sand. Yes, which that is the most like mm-hmm. cult name yeah. I could probably think of. Um, you know, bless the body of Jeremiah. Just like something weird like <laughs> yeah. that. So they're in this van and they come across Nicolas Cage's wife, and the cult leader, Jeremiah, he's like, I need to have her. I too am a special one. Let us so very special together and
0: it was a black it was a black sabbath shirt she was wearing it was was the
1: very very cool black sabbath shirt um and that's another thing that i'm gonna touch on later that this was in a lot of ways an 80s nostalgia movie Mm -hmm. but you didn't really think about that till after the fact yeah because i mean when you think about like the eighties tropes now, the neon colors, mm-hmm. the kind of like synth-y, the Stranger Things, the Stranger Things vibe. And these like nostalgia. Yeah. And like those little homages to 80s culture. Um, those were in this film. And mm-hmm. like, I mean the 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 Motley Crue t shirt, uh her interest in these kind of like more forms of fantasy that were really popular in the eighties. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't like, hey, remember Back to the Future? Remember that? I liked that.
0: It, it felt like the kind of thing that would have been made in the '80s, rather than something that was made like decades later, trying to like appeal to this like sensibilities of the of this audience. Right. Um, nerd writer Ron Hoover, we mentioned a couple of times. He has like a pretty good video about how the film uses like film grain. Um, Which not I just, loved. yeah, not just as like a stylist to just kind of like, Hey, Hey, we have film grain, but also as like, and, uh, in, and, in, in, um, he goes into it like a very
1: integral, um, part of the film's presentation. Yeah. Um, the color and the use of, uh, grain when it's clearly like a digitally shot film. Mm-hmm. I loved that. And I loved how, like the way I described, described it to my girlfriend, it's like, you know, when you had a little TV as a kid and you could adjust the settings, Yeah, you know, you could adjust the tint. All the way to the right, so people's faces were like purple yeah, or orange. Uh-huh. I used to do that with movies a lot and then watch them that <laughs> way when I was a kid. And I felt like I did that with my TV when this movie started because, mm-hmm. um, just like the 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 skin tones are like almost purple. And I also mm-hmm. really liked the use of film grain because it felt so excessive at times. Like, yeah. I, like especially in the opening of the movie, there was so much film grain where it was like it was almost too noticeable mm-hmm. to where it was like distracting. And I thought that was a really interesting way to incorporate aesthetics of like old filmmaking almost, almost like gratuitously to kind of like make this point about like if you're going to emulate the past, why do it in the way that the past would dictate you to? And why not just take these things from the past and implement them however you want to with modern Uh technology? Um, You talked about nerd writer uh, Cuck Philosophy, who I've talked on the channel before. He has a great video about uh, Derrida and uh, Hauntology. And you know, uh, 80s nostalgia, mm-hmm. which uh, anyone listening should go check out that video and then maybe go watch Mandy. I think uh, it would be a really interesting experience. But um, yeah, so Nicolas Cage's wife is taken and eventually killed. Yeah. Um, burned alive in, in front of Nic- Nicolas Cage. Well,
0: Nicolas Cage is on, on his front lawn, like tied up like Jesus with barbed wire and forced to watch as Mandy is hung upside down in a sleeping bag and lit on fire. It's a very it's it's it's, it's a very like sharp turn from like for the, the first half of the movie is very um kind of melodramatic, um yeah. a bit. Um has this very dream like quality, very moody. Um we mentioned how it becomes like an action movie. You don't get that like at all really from the first half. There's some elements when they start introducing kind of like the more fantastical, um, where if it feels like, Oh, this, this feels more like kind of like a, you know, like maybe like fantasy adventure movie, like a dark, dark version of that. And then like this, like just horrific scene, like square in the middle of the movie, which takes like just a complete shift.
1: For me, it was the scene where um, the lackeys go out to the forest and mm-hmm. they make that call. Yeah. And you're not really sure what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then this Hellraiser looking uh, mutant like biker gang. Yeah. Rolls up and they clearly are not human. They're clearly mm-hmm. like some other species or some other like crazy fantastical thing in this universe, mm-hmm. which that that's when I was like in the film. Mm-hmm. I was like, OK, yeah. I'm in. This is just, like, a cool-ass, very hipstery, like, uh, grindhouse movie. Yeah. And towards the end, when Nicolas Cage is, like, going, like, he's fighting people with chainsaws. Mm-hmm. Like, it looks like a grindhouse movie. Yeah. Just with, like, a really high budget, obviously, mm-hmm. and not as gory. But, um, so Nicolas Cage, upon uh, finding his wife, you know, burned alive mm-hmm. after he breaks free from his chains, he decides that he's going to go hunt, in his words, crazy-, crazy. Evil, Evil. Um, I, I love that scene in the movie <laughs> the only gripe I have is that I wish the revenge was maybe a little bit longer or yeah. <laughs> I feel like maybe the action scenes could have been a bit more brutal because I felt like the the kind of like seduction and the murder of Nicolas Cage's wife like it set like a standard for the film that it, like they never really returned to in like brutality at least for mm-hmm. me I felt like they didn't really hit that height again. You know, you know, what I mean. I, I can kind of see. I, I I do feel like um,
0: it doesn't really it doesn't really pull any punches, with with the brutality, especially, um, how he finally finishes up um Jeremiah Sand at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think people going into this kind of like wanting that type of like gory action aren't going to be disappointed, especially, and not and even if it's not all like. On screen with the amount of blood and gore, like it is, like the style of the fight scenes and just kind of like the energy behind them, I th- I think um,
1: made up for it. Yeah, there were a lot of po- moments in the film where my girlfriend, like, there would be a kill on on screen, she'd be like, mm-hmm. "Hell yeah!" <laughs> and like, you know, that, that that that's the sign of like when you know that you've done it right, you know. But uh, so Nicolas Cage goes on the hunt and essentially uh, you know, hunts down these mutant bikers, these Hellraiser looking people, mm-hmm. turns his sights on you know Jeremiah himself. Goes hunts down this cult leader. The movie basically just ends. Yeah, it's not a plot heavy movie, which mm-hmm. I like. Yeah, anyone knowing mm-hmm. me knows I don't really care. Why do you think that this film works? Because for for me, I have a hard time pinning down exactly why I like it. But there's just something about it that feels, I wouldn't say unique, but feels very personalized to itself, to mm-hmm. where I can't really watch Mandy like in another film. You know what I mean? Yeah. It feels like a very mm-hmm. like its own independent like cult film
0: i think it's just a very good like one-two punch of like simplicity of plot and character like you mentioned and just um the competence of the filmmaking and like the love that um panels because miles has for the craft i mean this is his only his second feature film he did correct yeah he did one film um i believe in 2014 uh,
1: It was 20 20- 10 uh, beyond
0: the black rainbow okay. yeah. yeah beyond the black rainbow um similar kind of an 80s throwback this instead of um man the way i've described mandy to a lot of people is just if like a 80s heavy metal album cover came to life like they're, they're making so many movies about like comics now what if they just adapted the 80s
1: like hair metal cover uh, one thing i thought was Really interesting in the movie is when Jeremiah tries like, okay, he gives Nicolas Cage's wife this strange drug, which Mm -hmm. was a very unique plot point that they barely touched on in the film. Um, going back to that whole that whole psychedelic aspect Mm of it, uh, they allude that there is this kind of mind-altering drug in this universe Mm -hmm. that they allude to as LSD and they kind of tie it into, you know, the CIA. And then there's Mm -hmm. the scene where, you know, Nicolas Cage's wife is stung, like they take this weird bug out a, of a jar. It's like
0: a spider wasp, I think. Yeah, have some a jar. weird
1: bug and they like, you know, sting her in the neck with it, mm-hmm. you know, and then she's essentially, you know, infected with this strange LSD type drug. Yeah. And during the scene, Jeremiah tries to brainwash her with his own music, mm-hmm. which I thought was really, really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, And then when he like took his pants off, that was one moment in the film where he just like exposed himself randomly, where yeah. I was just like, eh, all right, I get it. I, I, I get, I get like drink from the body. I get, I get it. But um, I think it was intentionally humorous. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that, that's kind of like where, that's why I like the film so much because on, on its face, someone could take this as like, oh, this film's trying very hard to be like self-serious. It's mm-hmm. a very like, you know, pompous. But then there's that scene at the end when Nicolas Cage kills all the mutant bikers, kills like uh, Jer- Jeremiah. He's in the car and he sees his wife His dead wife in the car with him and he turns to her and she looks at him and while you would expect this to be like really like melodramatic like moment in the film where it's like, all right, here's our closure. Mm -hmm. They look back at each other, but then Nicolas Cage gives this like vampires kiss ass meme (laughs) meme face (laughs) where he's just like doing this grin of like isn't this such an absurd, stupid thing to have happened? It's like kind of like a hell, the hell yeah, like 80s moment. Yeah. And for me, that was like a wink from the director mm-hmm. of understanding, like, look, everything that you've been presented in this film, take it with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like this is much more of an absurdist take on action movies or more of an absurdist take on science fiction than it is trying to make any kind of like large existential point. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just got like a kind of, absurd homage to a lot of films that the director probably loves. I mean, Cosmetos was uh, inspired by John Carpenter's Dark Star, uh, George Lucas's THX 1138. Mm -hmm. So clearly he's taking influences from older horror, older Mm -hmm. science fiction, older action movies, Mm -hmm. but he's doing what I wish more directors did, where instead of just emulating the past, they try to transform it or Mm -hmm. they try to, you know, what, what if instead of, you know, the 80s, As we remember, what if it was on this weird Earth-like planet, and there were Hellraiser bikers? Yeah. Okay, let's make that movie. Why not?
0: It's more of an homage to like the experimental style of those of the type of filmmakers, um, like you mentioned with like John Carpenter, early George Lucas, um, that um, who came to prominence in the '80s, more so than just an homage to like the '80s. Like again, I'm picking on Stranger Things, just kind of like
1: an homage to like the fandom. Yeah. Cause like that, that's something that people do with like nostalgia period. Like the eighties, the eighties gets reduced to neon yeah. neon Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back, back to the future. The nineties gets reduced to Kurt Cobain grunge. Mm-hmm. And, but like what people don't take into account is grunge existed for like three years in the nineties. Yeah. Back to the future was one movie in <laughs> the eighties and there were so many cultural and social contingents that were going on in both of those years that to only look back on them as, oh, they're like Stranger Things or, or yeah, oh, yeah, the, the 90s was, you know, Nirvana. And then to just like continuously emulate that into, you know, media media that we have now. I mean, we see it with uh, that whole Lion King live action remake. Did you see mm-hmm. the trailer for that? I did. And now Disney is making a whole sleuth of live action adaptations of their old classic films that. People like you and I as kids, we grew up on, but now that since we're older, that 30 year cycle, the 30 year cycle is just marketing, understanding that this age group can be exploited. Yeah. It's just noticing like, hey, they'll remember this when they were a kid. Let's make a movie out of it. Mm -hmm. And that's fine if you want to have those fun things. I really like how with Mandy, they're able to do that. They're able to give you like little nostalgic hints, but you're not just given that. Mm Mm-hmm. Cause my favorite things of this movie are the way it's shot, the way that I mean, I I love I love Nicolas Cage in this movie. I really like a lot of the action, but the cinematography is just beautiful. Yeah, it is. I love the cinematography in this movie. One of my favorite shots is that shot where I can't remember who's looking out at the woods. It may be it may just be like the, the camera's point of view, looking out at the woods, and then it just stops and it sees Jeremiah's gang and there's this red light in the forest. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. there's just dun. That, to me, was such a cool, stylized shot that I just don't really see in most other movies nowadays unless it's like, I don't know, a Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm. Like the intentional kind of throwbacks again. Yeah. And there's also, like, my girlfriend, she described it as there was this campiness to it. Mm -hmm. And I totally agree. And I liked that. I Mm -hmm. liked that there was this camp, but there was also this kind of visual elegance to it never compromises its
0: atmosphere and like the it's um the style filmmaking, like it's, it's aesthetic choices for the tone of the film like there's campy moments there's pretty serious and like brutal moments and it's, and it's all fits very well within the universe that the film creates
1: yeah it stays really consistent because i feel like throughout the entire film i would almost it almost feels like this 90 minute music video mm-hmm. yeah because it feels as if everything just like Folds directly into the next thing. It feels like the film is overscored. And I'm not, I'm not saying overscored in a bad way, but it feels like the score is almost consistently present in the film. Yeah. And this is an example where I think it actually works mm-hmm. because the music, it's much more kind of ambient. It's much more kind of like more atmospheric. I believe was by uh Johann Yes. I could be mispronouncing mm-hmm. that. And this was, was this actually the last score he worked on before? I, I believe it was, yeah. I'm, yeah, this is one of the last uh, films, the films dedicated to him, actually. I love the he, soundtrack, and I love that it was such an omnipresent element in the whole film. He's worked a lot with um, Denis Villeneuve
0: on films like Arrival, Sicario Prisoners, which kind of had a similar type of, like, a, a similar style of, like, implementing the music. So it's not just, like, set piece music. It's just, like, a constant thing that complements the story and complements the film.
1: Was there anything in the film that you, like, all right, you know how I said there were moments where I kind of like mm. rolled my eyes with the whole, like, uh, when he exposed himself. Yeah. Were there any moments for you that maybe made you have a reservation?
0: Uh, I can't
1: really think of any. Um, Looking back on it now. I, I'm just trying to understand where this idea that this is like a very, like, Tumblr-y film came mm-hmm. from. Because to me, I mean, maybe apart from uh, maybe a couple, like, font choices maybe there were a couple edgy lines here and there but again mm-hmm. it all feels very self aware yeah. and it feels like it's it feels more so that it's like this this play that's unfolding mm-hmm. like I'm not supposed to take this as oh this is how people would talk in real life yeah it's like a they're in the, they're they're in like
0: this hyper stylized world that would that will exist in the cut in the type of um like 80s sci-fi kind of like sci-fi Conan the barbarian type A type of story that the film pays homage to.
1: I'm seeing a lot of people compare this to Kubrick and Lynch. I I didn't get a single Kubrick or a single Lynch vibe this entire movie.
0: Yeah, I know. And this is something that I've kind of noticed by a while. Like people, whenever you have a movie that has like symmetry uh, outside of like yeah, like West Anderson style symmetry, like people say, oh, it's like the birth like the birth of a new Kubrick. Um yeah. Alex Garland, who's made Ex Machina and uh Annihilation mm-hmm. this year. I remember when Ex Machina came out and they was like, oh, he's he's a new Kubrick. probably just. just
1: creamed his pants here in that one. I mean what <laughs> like every every director now there's mm-hmm. like I can't wait to become the next Kubrick. Be the next you. Yeah. I mean Be uh, the next you. When
0: Kubrick when when you look at the type of films that people say, oh it's Kubrick and it's it's just like long shots, like quiet
1: I mean, okay. Sounds like like symmetry. I am by no means like a Kubrick stan. Mm -hmm. Kubrick, I think, is important for sure. Yeah. But like the terms like Kubrickian, Lynchian especially. I Mm -hmm. think Lynchian's a much more rooted term than Kubrickian. Because to me, Lynch had much more unique, signifying aspects of his filmmaking than Kubrick ever did. mm -hmm. Kubrick was a good filmmaker, but... Apart from,
0: I don't think he was trying to be, I don't think he was trying to be like a groundbreaking filmmaker. I think he was just like making the films he did and, and people, and people.
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, but I, I also feel like his cinematography, like while it was like maybe Marvel for its time, mm-hmm. I don't think it's aged very well. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of films of Kubrick's that even the most diehard Kubrick fan, like I have a friend that's a very big Kubrick fan and they hate Barry Lyndon because they're like, mm-hmm. it's, it's boring. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It's a boring movie. hmm I don't understand why every reviewer or every person where they, you know, if they see a movie that's even slightly, I guess, uh, off the beaten path or even just like at the least bit different. Oh, this 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 is, you know, like Lynch, mm-hmm. like that is and any like weird movie people just say, oh, it's David Lynch. Yeah, but, that, that that's a really cringe inducing thing to hear, because this film just reminded me nothing, absolutely nothing of David Lynch. It reminded me more of Clive Barker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, that's why I've mentioned Hellraiser so many times. Go watch Hellraiser. It's a great movie. One of the mm-hmm. best horror movies of the 80s. Right there, I'm going to say. <laughs> but, um, no. Some John Carpenter, Carpenter maybe more so than, like, Yeah, like, Lynch. like those are the influences I was taking from this more. Mm-hmm. Apart from it having Nicolas Cage in it, there's almost no connection to Lynch. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? But, uh, like, I asked you before, like, was uh lynch in this movie more wild at heart or more uh oh what was the other film i asked you to compare them to there was a film where i was asking gauging like cage's performance vampire's kiss yeah maybe it would have been and he's a great balance of both Mm -hmm. some of my favorite cages there's a a little bit of face-off in there too i also really like this film because i feel like it dilutes a lot of the meme around cage Mm -hmm.
0: i remember um in Roger Ebert's review of the uh, Werner Herzog's uh, Bad Lieutenant remake, yeah. um, he said how Her- Herzog and Cage are basically like a perfect actor-directed duo because Herzog's a fearless filmmaker and Cage is a fearless actor. Like he will, he'll do anything. Like yeah. he'll se- se- like serious roles, zany, like out there roles. Like he'll do. He'll give it like his all for like
1: no matter what. No matter what. Yeah, I, I always tell people he gives 150%, even if the script doesn't deserve it. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh luckily the script fully deserves it. And he's also very understated. Like this movie mm-hmm. doesn't have a lot of Nicolas Cage. He's no. more so of an afterthought. It's much mm-hmm. more of a film about Mandy's capture and her like honestly her murder. Mm-hmm. And then the last like maybe 20 minutes of the film are devoted to this like revenge bath. Yeah. I, I really hope that other directors can take notes that if you want to do an action movie, if you want to do a very stylized movie, especially if you want to do a movie that pays homage to the eighties, you know, if you want to pay homage to a genre, if you want to pay homage to a decade, if you want to pay homage to a director, I think it's much more in your best interest to not go the stranger things route and Mm -hmm. go a more individualist route. Cause to me, sure. This feels like a film that's, Paying homage to a lot of great things, but it also feels like a work of Cosmatos. Mm -hmm. It feels like a film of his. And Mm -hmm. when I go back to go watch beyond the black rainbow, which I really plan on doing, um, I hope I can see that kind of unique thread of who he is as a director. Yeah. Um, Mandy, I, I can't rec- recommend it enough. Go see Mandy. Don't go see the Suspiria remake. <laughs> Spend your money on Mandy because the Suspiria remake is garbage. And honestly, the original Suspiria isn't that good
0: anyway. Yeah, I can agree. Like, that. Jesus,
1: can we get off of that movie? <laughs> Jesus. Like, I, I'm done. I've had enough. I
0: remember I, in one of my classes the other day, we were um, watching it's a class on Neil Gaiman. And we were watching Mirror Mass, the film that he wrote, Game and Monroe and Dave McKeon directed. Mm-hmm. And somebody compared the, the lighting in the film to Suspiria. And before before she even mentioned, she's like, "I, I hate to be like that person, but it's kind of, it's kind of like Suspiria." We were all like, "Eh," and I mean that's like that earlier when we were recording today. I, I was like, I was tempted to say, "Eh," with the light with Mandy's like lighting. I was like, "Oh, kind of kind of like Suspiria," but. In, in the same way that like everything weird is Lynchian, every everything with like right, ra- yeah.
1: like colorful lighting is Suspiria. Yeah, and uh, by all means, if you're a Suspiria head, Suspiria Stan, because <laughs> I know there are so many, and I don't know why. Honestly, I feel like I'm going to go on a little bit of rant here <laughs> while we have a little bit of time to record. The reason why I feel so many people like Suspiria, especially now, is he's, it feels like there's like this new audience that's just like, oh my God, yeah, I, I love it. It's, it's like one, one of the greatest movies ever made. It's literally just projection. It's them knowing that they need to say this to be taken seriously by the film snobs on their social media. Yeah. Look, if you're a person that really, really loves the original Suspiria, by all means, this has nothing to do with you. If you're a person that comes to it and you love the film because it—you think it—it it exhibits like you know the sincere craft of filmmaking. If you're coming from a place of like sincere love for like the craft of the film, the art of the film, you know, by all means, that's fine. I'm complaining more so about the people that I feel like just bandwagon onto the film because they feel like they get internet cool points for liking another classic, you know, older horror film. And I feel like when films get to that kind of cult status i mean you know suspiria already had like a lot of cult status but when it gets like the second life through social media uh there tends to you know it'll attract a lot of people because some people will sincerely you know seek out the film and some will you know sincerely like it for you know whatever reason but then there's people that you know you know Don't give a shit about the movie, probably barely like the movie, probably can't tell you anything about the movie. The movie, they probably maybe even haven't seen the movie, but they know to tell people that they like the movie and tell people that they've seen the movie. And if they have seen the movie, they know to give the most positive reception possible you can give a a horror film. You cannot be critical of it whatsoever. Otherwise, you're, you know, going to be called, I guess, whatever I'm going to be called for not liking Suspiria. You're like, oh, he's just trying to be contrarian or try hard. Like, no, like, I just don't like it. I don't get the hype. I've never understood the hype. It seems like a film that's very easy for people to jump on as to try to paint themselves as a person that is, quote unquote, a fan of weird movies. And like, you're not like you just like Suspiria. You just like Suspiria. A lot of people like Suspiria. Okay? Like, just, just shut up already. Like, you got the remake. I hope it just goes away. I've seen enough of it. Maybe in 20 years, when I don't see as much about the film, and I don't have people shoving it, like, in my face all the time, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll, it'll work its way into my heart. But, at, like, as for now, I've tried watching the film for years and years and years. I've watched the film so many times. I've tried so hard to get and every time I fall asleep, it's <laughs> the most boring movie I've I've seen. That gets like the amount of praise mm-hmm. it, it it gets. I, I I'll never understand apart from just like pretentious projection. And I hate to say that a film's pretentious. I really, you know me. I hate using that word. Yeah. Suspiria is, in in my opinion, one of the most pretentious films that that you could put on your film list to try to say like, mm-hmm. oh, look at me. I like movies. I like Suspiria. Like, okay, I like music. I like Radiohead. Yeah. I like books. I like Tale of Two Cities. Like <laughs> All right. Cool. That 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 that's very, very cool.
0: I think it's I think Susperia, like it's fandom. The only explanation I could give is just because it's compared to the other like quote unquote classics of horror, like Halloween, Friday the thirteenth. is very different in style, very different in kind of like the filmmaking. I mean it's, it's it's not scary at all. Um, I mean yeah, it's different, but it's different I think that's why people are attracted to it looking especially looking back.
1: I, I think that for me that's a contingent of horror that I as I've gotten older I've just strayed away from. Mm-hmm. Like as I've gotten older and I've like changed my taste when it comes to horror, I'm much more interested in schlock. I'm much more <laughs> interested in like gore, exploitation yeah. B movies cuz those to me they feel like they just feel fun. They feel like the point of the movie. When I watch, like, I don't know, bad, bad example. When I watch Ichi the Killer, horrible mm. example, horrible example. When I watch Ichi the Killer, it reminds me of Mandy in a lot of ways. Because mm. it's this hyper-stylized action movie that has a brain to it, but it's also really absurd. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. So I, the stylization
0: I, I, isn't just in the film, it's in, like, the world that the film builds.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like, like, uh, 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 Takashi Mike really... And I know I, I'm probably going to get shit for talking about Suspiria, mm-hmm. but then saying Takashi Miike as any credit. But uh, Takashi Miike, I think, you know, Mandy reminded me a lot of his work. So if you're mm-hmm. a, a Miike fan, uh, if you're a fan of more stylized, you know, uh, I think tonal horror, I wouldn't even call it, Mandy, a horror movie. I'd really call it an action movie. Horror inspired. It's a horror inspired action movie. For I'd sure. Say. Um, I can't recommend it enough. And I'm really happy that this is the film that we got to talk about. Uh. For your last episode. Yeah, I am too. We've talked a lot about movies, a lot of crap about movies, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of negative opinions. We came together to give a positive one. Mm -hmm. On a a movie that
0: really deserves it.
1: On a movie that really, really, really deserves it. And, uh, you know, I've had this podcast for, what, about a year? About a year and a half, I think. About a year and a half. And uh, we had to take a break for a bit there because, you know, I I got another job. I had a lot of other stuff going Mm. on, you know. I couldn't have done the show without you, Mitch. Oh, thank you. And uh, I'm really, I'm really grateful that we got to have a lot of good talks, and uh, uh, I got to, you know, vent a lot of frustrations and vent a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have been able to otherwise mm-hmm. if I hadn't have had uh, another person in the room with me. And uh, I'm really happy that the other person was you. Thank so, you. So, you know, thanks a lot for being mm-hmm. my co-host. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Thank you so much for the eyeless minion doll. <laughs> which I didn't really describe it too much on when I received it. I was kind of just taking it back. It's dirty. Yeah. It's been, got, it's been in my car for a year. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been, it looks like it's been in a car for a year. <laughs> um, it looks, it's still got the tags, which is ironic, I guess. Um, but yeah, the eyes are just ripped, ripped right mm-hmm. out. There's no way to put him back on. I could probably glue an eye on there, but I think I like him with just this like a uh, Star Trek black band on his eyes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he looks like a, like a, a strange Devo member. <laughs> which i like that's definitely my uh my my aesthetic and my You're gonna have my to take
0: look. a picture of him like and, and put in
1: um i i don't know like do you know a lot about judaism no not, not a whole lot no. uh you know the idea like uh within like orthodox judaism that like you don't write the word of god sometimes because it's mm-hmm. just too disres- disrespectful to god itself yeah i, I feel yeah. like taking a picture with this would just kind of disrespect it too much you know, honestly, I feel like the best way to honor you and honor this gift is never tell anyone about it and just, you know, keep it hidden mm-hmm. for honor and uh, uh, Even and without eyes,
0: he'll just always be watching.
1: And on that note, <laughs> for the last time, mm-hmm. this has been Moving Pictures.
0: I was your host, Brent Gunn. And I've been your co-host, Mitchell Kalkalka, signing off one last
1: time. Uh, smallest violin playing. <laughs> and uh, thank you for listening.
0: It's Lord Clause with the pack up on it. Got a crew up in the bay. always dropping components. When you're stuck at Highway 1, you jump the gun and try to get the massive hill.